The following is a continuation of the previous episode. Welcome to the Yellow Balloons podcast, a collection of teachings to help you navigate the transformational possibilities of a God-centered perspective. We pray these insights from scripture will inspire and encourage you. In this episode, we continue looking at Daniel 6 and the story of Daniel's deliverance from the lion's den. We also explore his life as a whole and his example of what it takes to be a faithful witness. We pick up the story with King Darius, having just signed a decree into law demanding the people worship him. So therefore King Darius signed the written decree. Now when Daniel knew the writing was signed, he went home, and in his upper room, with his windows open toward Jerusalem, he knelt down on his knees three times that day and prayed and gave thanks to, before his God, as was his custom since early days. So this is nothing new. This is always done. He's just like, I'm going to keep doing what I've been doing. I'm not going to change because of this law. And then these men assembled and found Daniel praying and making supplication before his God, which they knew he would. And they went before the king and spoke concerning the king's decree. Have you not signed a decree that every man who petitions any god or man within 30 days except you, O king, shall be cast into a den of lions? See, you signed this, you signed this law, right, king? And the king answered and said, the thing is true according to the law of Medes and Persians, which does not alter. So they answered and said before the king that Daniel who's one of the captives from Judah, does not show due regard for you, O king, for the decree or for the decree that you have signed, but makes his petition three times a day. Now watch this. This is really cool. Then the king, when he heard these words, was greatly displeased with himself. See, this guy, you don't conquer the whole world because you're a dummy. He's already been considering putting Daniel over everybody. Why? Because he didn't suffer as much loss. The revenue is coming in under Daniel. He knows Daniel's honest. And now they come in and say, you've got to eliminate Daniel. He's like, they duped me. What an idiot I am. How did I let this happen? He knew exactly what they're doing. The reason he's considering putting Daniel over everybody is because he knows that there's an over-dipping going on in the part of the satraps. But the bureaucracy is so vast, you can't do without it. So maybe if I put Daniel in charge, and now they're getting rid of Daniel. He's like... Dummy, dummy, dummy. Why should, why should, I should have known. He's greatly displeased with himself. So what does he do? Well, he set his heart on Daniel to deliver him, and he labored till the going down of the sun delivered him. He got all his lawyers in and said, find a loophole in this law I made. Find some way for us to deliver Daniel. I do not want to throw this guy in the lion's den. He's like my best guy, and they're trying to knock him off. But, so verse 15, then these men approached the king and said to the king, No, O king, it's the law of the Medes and Persians. No decree or statute which the king established may be changed. You made the law. You've got to keep the law. Come on. Don't discredit yourself. So the king gave the command, and they brought Daniel and cast him into the den of lions. But here's what the king says. Get this. But the king spoke, saying to Daniel, Your God whom you serve continually, he will deliver you. Now, how many Christians have that kind of faith? This is a Persian king, for heaven's sakes. The one who God appointed his shepherd, as we read earlier. Then a stone was brought and laid on the mouth of the den. The king sealed it with his own signet ring and with the signets of his lords, that the purpose concerning Daniel might not be changed. So, same thing they did with Jesus, right? You put, a, you put a wax seal on there and you put your signet ring on there because like, you can't break the seal 
or you're violating the authority of the person that ordered that shut. That's the idea. Only the authority can open it. So now the king went to his palace and spent the night fasting. Now, kings, if you don't know, didn't fast all that much. You've seen pictures of, it used to be only obese people in the world were kings and royalty. Being obese meant you were rich. And that's pretty much, until about 100 years ago, that's pretty much the case. All of, poverty used to mean not enough to eat. That's, that's what it used to mean. Still does many places in the world. Not in the West anymore. So he spent the night fasting. And no musicians were brought before him. This word musicians, they're not really sure what that word means. It doesn't occur elsewhere in the Bible. But it appears to mean some entertainment is probably a better word to use. No entertainment was brought him. And think of this, too. How many people in the world got entertainment every night? If you, if you were rich, you could have entertainment. And there's only a handful of rich people. Probably the satraps could have entertainment. In our world, how many people can have entertainment every night? Everybody. And if you don't happen to be at home, you've got it on your cell phone. If you're at the bus station, heaven forbid that we would go any five minutes without any entertainment, right? You have to have a portable device to do that. You know, when I was a kid, I used to have to look out the window when we were driving. <laughs> Kids these days are not aware that there are any windows. They would, they would have no way of knowing because they're being entertained. So, but no entertainment tonight. That this is how distressed the king was, and also his sleep went from him. Like he know he got, he knows he got duped. He really loves Daniel, and he really wants Daniel to succeed. And he's like, God, this is his only way you can do this. This has to, God, would you please do this? This is the only way you can do it. See, so verse 19. Then the king arose very early in the morning, went in haste the den of lions. And when he came to the den, he cried out with a lamenting voice to Daniel. The king spoke, saying to Daniel, Daniel, servant of the living God, has your God, whom you serve continually, been able to deliver you from the lions? Then Daniel said to the king, O king, live forever. My God sent his angel and shut the lions' mouths so that they have not hurt me, because I was found innocent before him. And also, O king, I have done no wrong before you. Now, the king was exceedingly glad for him. So we've gone from pit of despair here to mountain of joy from the king. And commanded they should take Daniel up out of the den. So Daniel was taken up out of the den. No injury whatever was found on him because he believed in his God. And the king gave the command and they brought those men who had accused Daniel. And they cast them into the den of lions, them, their children, their wives, and the lions overpowered them and broke all their bones in pieces before they ever came to the bottom of the den. My guess would be, just a guess, just a hunch, that the tax revenues really went up right after this. <laughs> then King Darius wrote, To all peoples, nations, and languages that dwell in all the earth, half the world's population according to Wikipedia, I guess, Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. So this happened under Nebuchadnezzar, who wrote a chapter of Daniel. And now it's happening under Darius. Cyrus, most likely. Peace be multiplied to you. I make a decree that in every dominion of my kingdom, men must tremble and fear before the God of Daniel. For he is the living God. Every other God is just wood and stone. And steadfast forever. 
His kingdom is the one which shall not be destroyed. Now, isn't this fascinating? It was Nebuchadnezzar that saw the statue with the four kingdoms on it and the stone not made by hands coming and crushing the statue and blowing it over. I don't know how Cyrus knew this. Maybe it's divine revelation. I don't know, but he knows it. And his dominion shall endure to the end. He delivers and rescues, and he works signs and wonders in heaven and on earth, who has delivered Daniel from the power of the lions. So this Daniel prospered in the reign of Darius, in the reign of Cyrus the Persian. So ends the historical account of Daniel. So real briefly, let's just take a look at this life of Daniel and what it means to us. So we've looked at the historical background, the bureaucracy. We've looked at this story of great courage. Now let's look at the application. Well, let's just go to Ezekiel 14:14 14, 14 real quick. We've done this once before, but this is a contemporary to Daniel, and Ezekiel is speaking to the Israelites, and he's talking about the certainty of a judgment upon them, and he says, even if these three men, Noah, Daniel, and Job were in it, the world, they would deliver only themselves by their righteousness. So Daniel is, while he's alive, while he's still alive is put into the same category as Noah and Job in terms of righteousness. That is what the Bible thinks of Daniel. So then, therefore, we can take from Daniel, as we've seen all through these chapters, we've seen God is in control. Obviously, we've got a bunch of captive people. These captive people are uh, wondering, you know, what happened to us? Well, I thought the temple was supposed to save us. No, it's not, because God has decreed. And the point of Daniel, in large part, is... Nothing happens unless God lets it happen. He, do, he is in sovereign over the affairs of men, even these pagan kings, even the pagan kings. God's in control. So God has not forsaken you, you forsake in Him, and there's consequences to forsaking Him. So that's one. God's in control. The same as Revelation. And then by His example of His life, we get the same basic other major message that Revelation had. Be a faithful witness and don't fear death. Let's just think about this life of Daniel. He's a teenager. He's ripped out of his home, taken to a foreign land, probably eunuch at that point in time. Does he have reason to be bitter? Does he have reason to say, well, God failed me, so I'm not going to believe him anymore? Of course he does. What does he do? He doubles down. And he says, I'm going to serve God all the more faithful. That's a teenager. And so then we have him go into Babylonian University. Every opportunity to just adapt to Babylon or just reject it and say, I'm not going to have anything to do with you pagans. Instead, what he does is he masters it ten times over and is ten times better than anybody else without really believing it. So he becomes a master. He becomes excellent at what he does without changing his character. Isn't that amazing? So he's now he's still like a teenager at this point in time. So then he goes into the, the service corps of the Chaldeans, the wise men. And... They're going to kill them all. And, hey, I, is, hang on a sec. Let me and my friends pray. He doesn't freak out. He goes and prays. He gets the interpretation of the dream. He goes and makes the interpretation, saves everybody, probably including the people that later try to knock off his friends and potentially even him at some point in time. Uh, but he saves them all because he's able to give the dream. When he does, he says, hey, this wasn't me. It was God. So he has an opportunity to testify. Is he going around condemning all the evil around him? No. He's just living a faithful life. And when he has opportunity, he speaks. If you go into the New Testament epistles, you'll find one instance where it says, share your faith with your mouth. And it is when it says, when someone asks you why you're living righteously in the face of persecution and happy about it, then tell them. 
the hope that's the defense of the hope that's within you. But on every page in the New Testament epistles, it tells you live a faithful life. Live a faithful life. Be a faithful witness and don't fear death. Live as though God's in control, because he is. Every page it's on there. And Daniel's doing that. And look at the impact his life has. And then he becomes like the greatest guy in the kingdom, next to Nebuchadnezzar. And so now he's on the mountaintop. And does he let it go to his head? Not at all. And then under Belshazzar, the grandson, he's totally forgotten. Belshazzar doesn't even know who he is. But so... Now he's been on the top, he goes to the bottom. Does he say, well, they forgot me, I'll forget them. I'll just go to my river house, live out the rest of my days. I'm in my 80s. Does he do that? No. He's right nearby when the handwriting on the wall event happens. So they just go get him. He's right there. He's still, he's still in the midst of it all. And he gives the interpretation again. He's in his 80s. And then the new king comes in and elevates him, and he takes this stand in his 80s. Is that steadfast or what? What an amazing life. Let's close with the Great Commission. Matthew 28, verse 18. And Jesus came and spoke to them, saying, All authority is given unto me in heaven and on earth. Has it not been clear from Revelation who has all the authority? Has it not been clear from Daniel who has all the authority? Who's on the throne? God's on the throne. He's on the throne during the time of Daniel. He's on the throne during the Revelation. He's always on His throne. But, now, all authority has been given to Jesus in heaven and on earth. Not just God, the creator of the universe, but also as a man. As a man. He's the son of man now, not just the son of God. Son of God and son of man. Now, this would have freaked out the disciples. All they wanted Jesus to do was have all authority over Israel. That's really all they cared about. And here comes Jesus, who they thought had just totally uh, ejected on them. And he comes and says, hey, I've got now authority over all the earth, including the Romans, and heaven. Mind-blowing statement. So what are you going to do with this amazing authority, God? What are you going to do with it? I'm going to give it to you. Go, therefore, and am I right, as you go? So as you go, it's a participle phrase, so as you go, make disciples. The make disciples imperative. Do this. You do this. As you go. And teaching them. Teaching them. Uh, make disciples of the nation, teaching them, baptizing them in the name of the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, teaching them to observe all things I've commanded you. Now, how do you teach as you go? We usually think of teach as what I'm doing here, standing up front, and you voluntarily came and listened for whatever reason you had. But you, how do you teach as you go? Are you supposed to carry your iPad along with you and, hey, everybody, listen, turn to chapter so? You teach as you go by living the kind of life Daniel lived. A faithful witness and not fear death. To understand the wisdom of the world without buying the wisdom of the world and using and living. To be excellent at what you do. To be honest even when there's a price to pay for being honest. To be a great servant even when the person you're serving is a jerk. Or even corrupt. That is what teaching and discipling is. And we're all called to be Daniels. That's what we're called to do. And there's no retirement from this. There's no retirement from this. We can retire from jobs. We can retire from parenting. And we're supposed to, right? We're supposed to have our kids grow up and leave home. That's what we're supposed to do. But there's no retirement from being a disciple maker. There's no retirement from the Great Commission. Maybe as you go is in a nursing home. Maybe as you go is, is very limited because, because of your station in life. You know what? It doesn't matter. What, what matters is as we go... We do these things with our life. It's stunning, isn't it?
what one man's impact can be. Well, that's our charge, to be that person where God has called us. Remember, Daniel never gave a sermon at a crusade. Uh, We don't know that he went door to door doing evangelism. Uh, He did not start any churches. He was not a pastor. He was a bureaucrat in a giant administration, a eunuch, a dream teller. But because he was faithful and didn't fear death, he changed the world, or God changed the world through him. And that's our call, no matter where we're at in our life. God, thank you for this amazing man and his example. I pray that we'll be inspired to follow it. In Jesus' name, amen. Thanks for listening to the Yellow Balloons podcast. If you want more information on adopting a God-centered perspective, visit our website at yellowballoons.net. And if you have any questions related to what you just heard, we would love to hear from you. Please email us at contact at yellowballoons.net. Thanks for listening. 